0: This is the Padre Peregrina podcast. Theology from a wandering priest where you can learn scripture from the fathers and traditional catechisms for free. Join Father David Nix here for shows on church reform and world politics. All from the point of view of apostolic Catholicism, the original founded by Christ. This is RCT number 24, The Effects of Christ's Passion. RCT stands for the Roman Catechism of Trent. We are in pages 61 to 63 today. This is the Creed, Article 4, Part D. God give you his peace, and nomine paci sifiti, speedi santi, amen. O Heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, treasure of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us of all impurity and save our souls. O Good One, in nomine paci sifiti, Et spiritu Amen. The fruits of Christ's passion. It only remains now that the pastor carefully explain the blessings and advantages which flow from the passion of Christ. In the first place, then, the passion of our Lord was our deliverance from sin, for as Saint John says, He hath loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood, Apocalypse chapter one verse five. He hath quickened you together with him, says the Apostle, forgiving you all offenses, blotting out the handwriting of the decree that was written against us, which was contrary to us. And he hath taken the same out of the way, fastening it to the cross. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 14. Me again. Notice here, all those things that I just read are true when you go to confession. Confession. When you go to confession, it delivers you from your sin. It forgives you all offenses and even blots out the handwriting of the decree that was against us. Yes, all the sins you bring to confession are fastened to the cross. That's quite a visual if you think about it, that all your confessed sins are fastened to the cross. The catechism again. In the next place, he has rescued us from the tyranny of the devil for our Lord himself says, Now is the judgment of the world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all things to myself. John 1231 31-32 Again, he discharged the punishment due to our sins. Me again. Notice today, in all the debates that we see in American media, on social media, The big debate is really no longer divine revelation issues. The main things that are being debated is natural law. And by natural law, I mean, do children have a right to live? Do children have a right not to be mutilated? These are not issues that you need a Bible to know the truth of. All you need to do is be a good person. I'm not saying that's all it takes to get to heaven, but the issues that are being debated right now are those of the natural law, those that are written on every person's heart even before he's baptized. And how can we possibly explain the level of blindness in the world right now? Well, I think the only answer is that the devil is blinding people. And this is the one of the many great aspects of our faith that the sacraments do for us. If we receive the sacraments worthily, And by worthily, I mean even confession should be done worthily with true repentance. When we receive the sacraments, it removes that blindness. I think more than ever before do we see those who are not Christian are walking in tremendous blindness. Again, these are the issues of the natural law they're blind on. Should we hurt children? Real basic stuff. And so we just heard in the catechism there, blindness is the tyranny of the devil. And what frees us from that? It is the blood of Jesus that frees us from it. I'm becoming more and more Augustinian in my outlook that those walking in original sin or mortal sin are going to walk in darkness, not only in issues of supernatural truths, but those walking without Christ are going to be blind even in natural truths. And the Catechism again. And as no sacrifice more pleasing and acceptable could have been offered to God... He reconciled us to the Father, appeased His wrath, and made Him favorable to us. Finally, by taking away our sins, He opened to us heaven, which was closed by the common sin of mankind. And this the Apostle pointed out when he said, We have confidence in the entering into the holies by the blood of Christ. Hebrews 10.19 And me again, you know, when you were baptized either as a baby or as an adult, All of those things we just heard happen to you. It's important to remember that the sacraments transfer all of the theology of the passion of Jesus to us. Baptism makes us acceptable to God. How do we know this? Because it transfers the effects of the passion to you. You know, people today, they don't think of the gravity of of original sin. Not even Catholics. Modernist Catholics look at a newborn baby and think, there's no way such an innocent-looking creature would need to be reconciled to God. Why do people come to that erroneous conclusion? I think a big part of it is because we are individualists. We don't understand communal sin. We don't understand what Adam and Eve's sin did to us. Now, of course, in some sense, that baby is innocent because it has no actual actual sin. But as you know, it does have original sin in which we were all born except Jesus, Mary, Mary and joseph and saint john the baptist as we talked about before and why is that why were we born into original sin again because of the sins of adam and eve and that makes us separated from god not a very popular topic when looking at an unbaptized newly born baby but baptism reconciles us to the father and then after that we are no longer under his wrath people say that idea of wrath comes just from calvin calvin was a horrible heretic but no You know, St. John, the great apostle of love, he speaks of the wrath of God more than any of the other three synoptic evangelists. So remember, baptism opens heaven to us, and then we become a temple of God. As we just heard in Hebrews 10, we have confidence in the entering into the holies by the blood of Christ. Okay, the catechism again nor are we without a type and figure of this mystery and the old law. For those who were prohibited to return into their native country before the death of the high priest, Numbers thirty-five twenty-five typified that no one, however just and holy, may have been his life, could gain admission into the celestial country unless the eternal high priest, Christ Jesus, had died, and by his death immediately opened heaven to those who purified by the sacraments and gifted with faith hope and charity become partakers of his passion me again you know we've talked about this before but remember joshua and caleb taking the holy land from the pagan tribes that describes every christian soul how is that well look at this egypt represents our place of sin and then we have to come with the goal of the Holy Land, but we're not there yet. The River Jordan, that symbolizes our separation from the Holy Land, just as it geographically separates the desert from this land of milk and honey. And then that splitting of the Jordan River, remember how the not only the Red Sea, but even the Jordan River was split by uh, Joshua and Caleb. That splitting of the River Jordan is baptism. And then that is the entering into the Promised Land where promised land is living in grace. The Catechism again. Christ's passion, a satisfaction, a sacrifice, a redemption, an example. The pastor should teach that all these inestimable and divine blessings flow to us from the passion of Christ. First, indeed, because the satisfaction which Jesus Christ has in an admirable manner made to God the Father for our sins is full and complete. The price which he paid for our ransom was not only adequate and equal to our debts, but far exceeding them. Again, it, the passion of Christ, was a sacrifice most acceptable to God. For when offered by his Son on the altar of the cross, it entirely appeased the wrath and indignation of the Father. Me again. Notice that word ransom. Do you know that from the year 1200 to 1800, there were two different orders of ransom men called the Trinitarians and the Mercedarians. And they rescued close to a million Christians who had been taken captive in North Africa by the Muslims. Now, a lot of times they would have to give out money that they had been given to them by people's tithes all over Europe. But sometimes they would ransom themselves. They would go make deals with Muslims. Some of these br- brothers and priests of the ransom orders, that is the Mercedarians and the Trinitarians, they would go to Morocco, say from Spain, and they would say, if you will take my life as a slave, would you please release this Christian woman and her daughter? And amazingly, the Muslims would agree to this. And then these men would live in slavery as vowed brothers, uh, often taken ransom um, against the... Lives of certain Christian men and women and children. And so this should give you kind of an idea of what Jesus did for all of us that as we were slaves to the devil, so also Jesus came and took our place. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas teaches that one drop of the most precious blood of Jesus could have redeemed the whole world. Now we think of all the sins being committed in the world and we think maybe. Maybe St. Thomas Aquinas was exaggerating a little bit, one drop of the most precious blood. But here's why it's not an exaggeration. It's because it's the blood of the God-man, not just a great man. It's because it's the blood of the God-man that makes this precious blood of Jesus of infinite value. And so I can't help but think at the practical level, you know, I'm sure a lot of you have seen that video where they take unconsecrated hosts put them in people's hands. And then they look at black construction paper after that. And they see that hosts or rather unconsecrated hosts, the crumbs from those unconsecrated hosts that went into people's hands, just fill up these black construction pieces of paper with bread. And that is how the body of Christ is lost at mass. And I'm sure all of you have seen numerous spills of the most precious blood at the hands of Eucharistic ministers. This should give us some idea what is being lost when we are not doing the Latin Mass, when when we're not careful of the most precious blood of Jesus. The new way is not the good way. It's losing countless souls. And I would even say that's the case on catechisms. Today, you are following the Roman Catechism of Trent. And I recently wrote a blog post called The Most Destructive Line in the New Catechism. That's in reference to the CCC that was released by Pope John Paul II in 1992, As I pointed out on previous podcasts, that is not infallible. And in that blog, I show how one of the errors in the New Catechism is leading to an addiction of thousands of men. I prove it in there. It's not an exaggeration. If you're using the New Catechism, you're going to have errors that really translate to the practical side of life, including an addiction in many, many men's and sometimes women's lives. So again, look for that in the show notes, the most destructive line in the New Catechism. And the Old Catechism again, the word sacrifice the Apostle uses when he says, Christ hath loved us and hath delivered himself for us, an oblation and a sacrifice to God for an odor of sweetness, Ephesians five two. Furthermore, it was a redemption of which the Prince of the Apostles says, You were not redeemed with corruptible things as gold or silver from your vain conversation of the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb unspotted and undefiled. First Peter chapter one verses eighteen to nineteen. While the apostle teaches Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Galatians three, thirteen. Me again, you know, we take it for granted what Christ has done for us, but in three hours on the cross he paid the debt for what you could not have paid with trillions of years in hell. Again, I know this sounds like an exaggeration, but it's not It's not that modernist Catholics, say, understand God's mercy and St. Thomas Aquinas and all the old school saints did not. Rather, it's that St. Thomas Aquinas understood both God's mercy and his holiness. And modernist Catholics do not understand his holiness. What is it really going to be like to enter into the presence of God? He's too holy for anything unclean to enter his presence. This is why we have to be cleaned by grace and by the precious blood of Jesus on earth if we're going to have any chance of standing before God. And so I really do believe that we modernist Catholics, and in some sense I put myself in there, we don't understand why, number one, I myself deserve hell forever. This has to do with the fact that I have offended an infinitely holy God. And the second thing modernist Catholics don't understand is how one drop of the most precious blood of Christ is so divine as to be able to redeem me from all of my sins. As we just heard that beautiful line from St. Peter, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as gold or silver from your vain conversation of the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb unspotted and undefiled. The Catechism again. Besides these incomparable blessings, we have also received another of the highest importance, namely, that in the passion alone we have the most illustrious example of the exercise of every virtue, for he so displayed patience, humility, exalted charity, meekness, obedience, and unshaken firmness of soul, not only in suffering for justice's sake, but also in meeting death, that we may truly say on the day of his passion alone, our Savior offered in his own person a living exemplification of all the moral precepts inculcated during the entire time of his public ministry. This exposition of the saving passion and death of Christ the Lord we have given briefly. Would to God that these mysteries were always present to our minds, and that we learn to suffer, die, and be buried together with our Lord, so that from henceforth, having cast aside all stain of sin and rising with him to newness of life, we may at length, through his grace and mercy, be found worthy to be made partakers of the celestial kingdom and glory. Me again. One book I would suggest to be able to imitate Christ a little bit closer would be Victories of the Martyrs by St. Alphonsus Liguori. I highly suggest you all get that. The Victories of the Martyrs by St. Alphonsus Liguori. Now I'd like to talk about the Holy Mass. You know, as we just heard these words in the Roman Catechism of Trent about the passion passion and death of Jesus right there, keep in mind that the Holy Mass is the summit and source of all the sacraments. And that is because the Mass is the re-presentation of the sacrifice of Calvary. As if you were to take a time machine back to Calvary. Okay, that's the third thing in this catechism catechism series today that sounds like an exaggeration, but it's not. What you would do at Calvary, you should do at Mass. And what you would not do at Calvary, you should not do at Mass. You know, last year, Catholic Twitter flipped out on me when I said, don't bring a water bottle to Mass. I thought it was a pretty innocent tweet. And then I got all these exaggerated replies about, what about the people singing in choir and those people with throat cancer and pregnant women? But if you looked at all the people attacking me for a very simple tweet, don't bring a water bottle to mass, all of their arguments were man-centered. None of them were God-centered. It was always about man's rights, whatever. Someone with throat cancer singing in choir, pregnant or whatever. Never what God's rights are. It's almost like the attitude seemed to be You know, God is so lucky to have me at Mass that he should really be happy to have me there with or without a water bottle. And Mean Father Nix doesn't understand this. Here's the thing. Did Jesus get a water bottle on Calvary for suffering for you for three hours? No. So you shouldn't get one while sitting in a heated or air-conditioned church for one hour a week. But I shouldn't take it so seriously. Catholic Twitter is really a place where... Most people treat Catholicism as a silly hobby instead of a matter of heaven and hell. So I really should not have been surprised at such scapegoating in a very shallow environment. But to me, it's interesting. Let's talk about history now. We're going to pan out from Catholic Twitter. Let's look at the last 60, 70 years of Catholic history. To me, it's interesting that right before all seven sacraments got totally revamped in the 1960s, and actually I should say concurrent with this a little bit, Uh, was the end of the life of one of the greatest priestly saints ever, which was Padre Pio. And as you know, Padre Pio had the stigmata, but that stigmata really flared up to excruciating levels as he celebrated the Holy Mass. Padre Pio himself once admitted that he did not stand at the Mass as a priest, but he hung there. That's what he felt, he hung there. Truly, Padre Pio is this living icon of what it cost Jesus to bring us the Mass, his very life. So let us respond by giving Jesus our very lives. He gave us his divine life. Let us give him back the smallest amount of suffering back in our human lives, even if it's as tiny as refraining from a water bottle at Holy Mass. Thanks to all my benefactors, spiritual and material, my only income comes from you, my listeners. You keep this free from everyone who can't donate, and I do remember both groups at my masses. Please say an Our Father for me at Benedictio De Omnipotentis, Patris Safiti et Spiritu Sancti, descendit super vos et manet semper. Amen.